All right, Bus Bench Babes, we have an awesome episode for you today with our favorite lender, Jason Trout, the owner of JMT Mortgage. And we are going to talk about myths, what's happening in the market, like really what all the financial pieces of getting a loan entail. And we're going to do a deep dive. Let's do this. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Well, uh, yeah, Bus Bench babes, we're so excited to have Jason Trout here today. Welcome, Jason. Hello, hello. And this is Jason's first podcast. Christy and I are going to bombard him with questions. And so you and I go back a long ways. Long time. Uh, I don't even know if we could put a number on it. Like double digit is how long we've known right. each other. Almost two decades, I would say. Yeah. So you, back in the day when you could all do, you used to do appraisals, mortgages, and real estate. Yep. And I did wow. interior design, real estate, and mortgages. Mm -hmm. And then when they're like, no, you guys cannot wear that many hats, you stayed in the mortgage realm, and I stayed in the real estate realm. Yeah. And we're still working together. It's so awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that goes back to like 2003. Easily. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot, you guys. I know. Wow. You're my brother from another mother. And J Jason's <laughs> just basically like, I know Jason because he's made stuff happen for us with our He's loans, like which... your professional financier. Yeah. Just call him <laughs> if I have a question. No, don't do that. No. <laughs> no, no. I appreciate those calls. It keeps me young. Yeah. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like when you're not doing mortgages, what are you up to? And like, tell us about your background. Yeah. Um, quick work background is that uh, I'll basically you know, go with the mortgages. I've been in uh, um, the mortgage business now. It'll be 19 years. Um, I've always been a broker. I've worked for two other brokers uh, when I first started quickly, you know, picked up everything with regards to this business um, and decided to start my own uh, company, JMT Mortgage, back January 1st of 2005. So it feels like that's all I've done since I graduated college, pretty much. I had a couple odd jobs, you know, before that. Um, but uh, I really grasped the hold of the mortgage business very quickly and thought, okay, this isn't just a job anymore. This could be a career. And here I am today, 19 years later. So would have never thought this would have been the scenario that would have played out with my life. I definitely did not go to a college for mortgages, but uh, you know, I love what I do. So that's a little uh, background there on the um, the uh, mortgage business. And then, uh, so personally, um, you know, what I do otherwise is uh, I have three boys um, that are eight, ten, and thirteen years old and love them to death. They keep my wife and I uh, super, super busy at all times, which is probably an understatement. 
Um, these years are just flying by. We love it, but we know it'll just go by super, super quick. And next thing you know, we'll be, you know, empty nesters. Um, so we're enjoying as much time as we can with them. They're both, all three of them are three sport athletes. They all play football, they all play basketball, and they all play baseball. So it's year round sports. You guys activities. are insane with the sports in your house. <laughs> That's incredible. I gotta say, That's you're incredible. writing pre-approval letters next on the basketball court. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yes. Really? That's, oh, I love yeah, it. I bring I my computer it. with my laptop comes with me to go to tournaments. Okay. So last weekend we were in Wyzetta. I had my laptop with me. Um, I sit in the back of my wife's Yukon. And uh, so I have, I have enough room. And uh, yep, I take uh, applications in the back seat. She just like drives you around and you're like working. Is it like. <laughs> no, typically I'm actually just, we're sitting still. She's in there okay. watching basketball and I'm out in the car, okay. you know, uh, taking applications on business, my business. Hustling business. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, busy with the kids uh, at all times. Um, I also enjoy working out, um, just, you know, exercising. And then I also love fishing. Kind of goes along with my last name of Trout. So uh, love love fishing. I always have since I was a super young kid, but I try to do that as much as possible outside of sports with my kids involved. I really don't fish very often by myself. Um, maybe one or two times a year I go on fishing trips with friends. But uh, yeah, I love uh, taking the boys fishing, you know, some of the local lakes here around Carver County. And uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm a paid on call firefighter also because I don't have enough on my plate. But I, uh, <laughs> I started that second career, as some people would say, back in 2014 um, at the city of Golden Valley. And then we ended up moving out to Victoria, Minnesota, and uh, just jumped right back in you know, with both feet to be there with those guys. So I've been on the Victoria Fire Department for uh, um, seven years now. I always forget about that. And then Mark will come yeah. home from work and say, oh, yeah, I saw Jason today at the firehouse. Like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's just, you know, I'm always on call with them. So I can yeah. that, that weaves in, you know, when I have time, mm-hmm. you know, and so I don't have to you know make make every single call. But I try to, you know, and it's it's always a, a race from home to the firehouse. To see well, what and you live it. so damn close to the firehouse. You really could walk there if you had to. True ride yeah. your bike there yeah. if it wasn't like a major emergency yes <laughs> i'll be there in a few minutes i'm just getting some exercise in on my way to the firehouse yeah <laughs> definitely okay so the the big reason we have you here we've had you on a couple of facebook lives and obviously we call you when we have a question mm-hmm. but the really the big reason we have you here is because a listener actually reached out to us and was like where does all the money go when you buy a house and like, how do I get this answer, um, this question answered on your show? So we reached out to Jason, so you can tell us where all the money in that breakdown goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great question. I think I get that question often. And uh, I think it really comes down to, you know, um, your realtor, like Beth is going to be working with a buyer that she's found. And maybe I've got them pre-qualified and, uh, you know, we figure out what type of loan they're going to do, whether it's going to be an FHA or whether it's going to be conventional. And there are no money, no, you know, no money down loans anymore. So you have to put some of your own skin into the game, whether it's, you know, 3% down, 3.5% down, 5%. You could do anything, you know, anything more than 3%. Um, but what ends up happening is that, you know, depending on, you know, what your loan amount's going to be and everything else, um, basically a lot of the fees are factored in based off of your loan amount. So your loan size has nothing to do with interest rates. Um, or the loan term that you're doing, whether it's a 30 year, 20 year, 15 year, 20 year, you know, again, like I said, um, is that it's going to be more or less just based off of the percentages of your loan amount. So, for example, um, you know, a lot of people will look at it and say, okay, I'm taking out a loan, say, for $200,000. You know, what are going to be my fees involved with that? 
Um, I could jump right into that. If sure. We're, we're good yeah. to, you know, getting into that question here. So on a high level here, you've got uh, quite a few different fees that are coming into play when you take out a loan. So I'm talking specifically with fees associated with the loans. Um, let me split it up though. There's closing costs, and then you've also got what are called prepaid escrow items. So I think about to myself, you've got uh, prepaid escrow items. Those are going to be determined by other third-party factors out there, such as like you know your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance, um, daily interest from the day that you close on the loan till the first of the next month. Those are going to be you know your costs for setting up that escrow account in the prepaid items. So that has nothing to do with getting the loan. Now let's jump into the loan part here and focus straightly on that. Um, you know, you really, I can't really break it down specifically into like buckets of saying, hey, these fees are, you know, related to uh, the loan, uh, getting getting the numbers worked out. Um, but I can kind of break down a couple of things here with regards to, let's start out with lender fees. So lender fees are going to be, this first uh, bucket I'm going to talk about is going to be like whether you are paying points or not. So you have a couple of different- So much confusion about this because people are like, I don't even know what that means. I'm what is confused. A point? I'm completely confused. So I'm looking forward to this answer. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can because I try to give people a lot of like black and white uh, you know, facts when it comes down to loans. Okay. So the first one you're going to do is whether you're going to pay origination points or not. So an origination point would be like a percentage, say for example, 1% times your loan amount and that gets paid to me, not not outside of closing because it's illegal for me to get paid. You can't just write me a check for $2,000 if it was 1% origination on you know, a $200,000 loan. So what ends up happening is that you know, I, I would charge 1% origination for me doing the loan for you. Okay, so that's part of the lender fees. Um, there's also additional fees that you can pay for discount points. So discount points being different than origination points is a discount point is where you're buying your rate down below what the current market rate is going to be on any given day. So that could be like um, 0.125%. That could be a half a percent times your loan amount to get the lower interest rate. And uh, those would be you know the two of the big lender fees out there. So you're like, okay, you'd say today's interest rates are three and a half, but your buyer is adamant that they want three and a quarter. Mm -hmm. They can pay points to get a lower rate. Is Correct. what you're saying. Correct. You oh, can buy really? upfront points. Yeah, you can pay the points to buy the rate down. And that's for the life of the loan. That's so interesting. then then that's fixed for thirty years if you have a thirty year loan. Yeah, you bet. So that can be so do you help people navigate like if it makes sense to do it or not? Like how do you, you have that conversation with them? Yes. Every buyer that I work with, it comes down to if it comes down to points, I will say, okay, let's say the interest rate today hypothetically was going to be four percent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Four percent with no points, or or if you want to buy it down to three point seven five percent, you know, this would be your monthly savings in principal and interest. Here's the additional costs of buying that down. That'll be rolled into your closing costs. Or we could go further than that. We could buy it down to three and a half percent. So I always give people at least two different options when it comes to uh, you know, buying points or not buying any, you know, discount points. So then you have to weigh, I'm assuming, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. So then you're weighing like do those monthly cost savings outweigh the cost of what that cost up front and how long do you plan to be in your house? Is that kind of how you calculate if it makes sense or not? Yeah, very okay. specifically, it's the uh, how long you plan to be in your house. Okay. I mean, we never can forecast it, you know, exactly. Right. People tell well, everyone's me- Everyone's like, I'm gonna be in there forever. And they're like, three years later, <laughs> we've outgrown this house. <laughs> right, yeah, and I'm like, great, call Beth or I back again. We'll, we'll help you, we'll gladly help you out. Right. 
Yeah, so that's what it really comes down to. Is like, for example, if you were buying the the rate down from three point seven five down to three point five percent, if it costs you twenty five hundred dollars, but you're going to save fifty dollars a month, we do the math on that and figure out. Okay, hypothetically, the break even was seven years. Then I have to come back and talk to Mr. or Mrs. Client and say, okay, here's what your options would be. Do you think you'll be in your house in, in seven years? If the answer is yes, then I'd recommend buying the points down. Or if you're only going to be in there for three to five years and the break-even point is seven, then heck no, I wouldn't do it myself. So I wouldn't recommend or advise you on that. So smart. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big difference. I get that a lot. You know, what is origination points and what are discount points? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing when I would talk about like lender fees is, Pretty much every single lender out there is charging a uh, underwriting fee. Okay, underwriting fees typically nine hundred to uh, you know eleven hundred dollars worth of uh, cost that would be uh, you know put into that bucket of lender fees. I've seen them go up here just recently with two of my top lenders. Uh, one was actually yesterday, but they're not going up like you know by hundreds of dollars. It's like seventy four dollars for this lender, you know fifty dollars for this lender, and that's charged on every single loan. Okay. So there's always going to be an underwriting fee in there. Um, a lot of times there's a processing fee also. So a processing fee would go to the company that helps me process the loans, especially when I get super, super busy and I can't do everything on my own. I end up you know, having to charge this processing fee and it's just a pass-through fee that goes right to uh, the processing third-party fee that I pay when I get an invoice. Okay. Yeah. So lender fees is a big one right there. Um, next thing I'll jump into the bucket of title fees. Title fees are going to be based off the title company that you choose. You know, Beth, you and I both have uh, title companies that we love. We love, you know, working with, you know, different ones out there, especially Lynn, Lynn mm-hmm. Sander. Um, what I love about title companies are right now is that you can jump on the internet, you can search your own title companies, you can search Esquire uh, Titles website, and you can look on there and say, okay, this is great. Um, I can plug in my purchase price, I can plug in the uh, um, loan amount, and then I can figure out what the title fees are there so that the consumer can do the shopping themselves. That's so nice. You know, I don't think as a consumer, you realize you can do that yourself necessarily. So that's yeah. really helpful information. You're just like given a title company, like show up at this time and then you just go with it. Yeah. Well, like most title companies, the fees aren't super huge difference between them. I mean, it might be a few dollars here and there, mm-hmm. but overall, like in my experience, I'm sure Jason, you can attest to this. Having a relationship with a title person is key in your success or not of getting to the closing table in a timely manner. Yeah, there definitely is. There's definitely title companies out there that drag their feet, that are not communicating with Beth or I, and it makes the process just so it's much a nightmare. more difficult. Or they don't even even CC you on any emails. I'm like, you know, I'm like, hello, mm-hmm. I'm part of this transaction. Like I'm getting this thing to the closing table or the lender is getting to the closing table. Can you maybe even let us know where we need to be on the closing day? Right. So annoying. Right, exactly. Um, there's pretty much uh, four standard fees that come along with the lender title uh, you know, charges. And again, I encourage consumers to go out there and look for themselves because every title company has a calculator on there that you can put in the zip code, maybe the county where you're buying in. And then also, you know, you just put in the loan amount and the purchase price and you can search and find your own fees right there. So slick. Yeah. So those are going to be dropped into the um, categories of you're going to have a closing fee, that goes to the title company for closing the loan. You're going to have a title search and exam for all the work that they're doing at the county and the state level and everything else there. Um, and then you're also going to have two other types of t- title insurance. You're going to have lender's title insurance because the lender says, hey, if you want a loan for us from us, go buy us title insurance. So they force place that one. There's no way you can get around that. You have to pay a lender's title insurance policy um, if you're getting taking out a loan. 
The other, the fourth one's going to be, is going to be the, uh, what is it? The lenders, you get the owner's title policy. The owner's title policy is going to be an optional one. But I always tell people, look, I've been doing this a long, long time. It's very, 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 you know, one in every 200 customers that I talk to that don't take out an owner's title policy. And it's like cheap one-time insurance. It's terrifying. I had one client decline it um, a year or so ago on a cash offer. And I'm like, you never know what could come up yeah. for that small amount, few hundred dollar policy. And like, I feel like you, you're on your own, buddy. Yeah. I think we could debunk the myth about that real quick and just say, hey, owner's title insurance basically is covering you against somebody who previously had done work on the property who you know didn't get paid by the previous owner, then all of a sudden you buy the house and they come back to you and say, hey, you're the new owner? Well, guess what? The previous owners didn't pay for this. Now you owe me money. Oh. Or my grandmother said, I'm gonna inherit this house. And then she passed away and all the paperwork got muddled and mm-hmm. now I'm coming back as like, like this is my house. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying that people would be like, "Oh yeah, this is just a fee I don't want to pay." Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's kind of like driving without car insurance. It's it's ridiculous, it, or it walking is. through life without health insurance. It's a big gamble. Yeah, and it's very inexpensive. I mean, yeah. hundred to five hundred dollars on the biggest purchase of your life. Yeah, yeah, you got to do it. Yeah, so smart. Yeah, that's title fees, um, realtor fees. Um, Beth, correct me if I'm wrong. In Minnesota, it's very typical that a buyer is not going to pay real estate commission. Yep, ninety-nine percent of the time, the commission um, and how I would get paid when a, someone buys a house would be from the sell side. Okay, so you don't have any fees there on the commission yeah. side. Okay, no, I just have a transaction fee. Right. Yeah, and I always uh, get that from realtors, and I say, "Hey, I've met you. What is your broker admin charge?" Mm-hmm. The BAC, I call it. You know, yep. I always you know call or text that realtor, the buyer's agent, and I'm saying, "Hey, how much is it?" Because I have to disclose that on the uh, on some of the documents. The initial one is called the loan estimate that goes out that gives the breakdown of all the fees. Yeah. So, so our team charges three ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, I, you see them from. Anywhere from like 300 and sometimes they're as high as like 800. Right. So we try to keep ours really affordable. Yeah. Yeah. And the key is that I like to clarify with clients is that's not a fee that's going to Beth. Beth does not take that and put that in her pocket. That's going to the brokerage that she works for. Yeah. People ask me that all the time. Yeah. Cool. Otherwise, you know, some of the other fees I kind of had written down here was going to be, you know, an appraisal. More than likely on a uh, um, a purchase, you're going to have to pay for an appraisal. Appraisals are getting more and more expensive because of the compliance. There's third-party companies involved called appraisal management companies. I call it an AMC for the, you know, short acronym. Um, but those are getting more expensive and typically those are paid for outside of closing. That'll be one right there. People say, well, what else do I have to pay for outside of closing? And it's just going to be, uh, the, uh, appraisal somewhere in the range of 600 to $900 is what I'm quoting people these days. Isn't that insane? Remember when they were like $300? Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like when we bought our house, it was much less. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. The f- they just keep getting more expensive. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, you've got the appraisal fee. You're going to have a credit report fee, which is going to be standard on every loan. Um, some, a lot of times they're also going to have a, a flood certification fee. So what each one of the lenders do, you know, when you go to buy a house or even if you refinance, every loan, they're checking to see if that property is in a flood zone. And there's fee, fees involved. They go, they go out there and they, you know, get these from third party companies. And Just it's a pass so through stupid. fee. That's a, that's a bogus fee. I hate that fee. Yeah. You're like I live on top of a hill. I don't think we need to worry about a flood. 
Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, ninety-eight percent of the the properties around here that you know you and I deal with, Beth, is uh, not going to be in a flood zone. No, but they still and charge. They literally, the check like, for it. type an address into a website. So yeah, that's that's annoying that lend that. Yeah, that's like the actual lending company charges that. Yeah, yeah. I get it's 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 mitigating their risk. I get why they charge it. Right. Yeah. So uh, next, uh, I would say that there's um, always going to be kind of a transfer tax. I always like to just spell it out for people is that, look, you're buying a house, you're taking out a mortgage, the state is going to get their money. It's a transfer tax to the county that the county picks up. Typically, um, with Minnesota County, it's going to be about 0.23% times your loan amount, except for the two counties um, around the metro of Hennepin and Ramsey, which those ones are 0.24%. Um, and that's, again, like a, kind of like a sales tax. You can't get away from that. Guarantee you, can, you can't even... <laughs> Um, try to barter that you can't bargain with that. I mean, that's a county fee and it's going to get collected, you know, um, based off the loan amount times that one of those percentages. So if you pay cash, you don't have that fee. Correct. Yeah. You will avoid you, only that. if you have a mortgage. Yes. Good okay. clarification there. Yep. Um, and then last but not least, you're going to have recording fees. So for every document that has to be recorded at the county, when you go to buy a house, it's going to be $46. So $46 to record the mortgage and also $46 to record the deed. So Okay. Yep, you're not getting away around those. You can't bargain with me and say, I want to pay less than 46. And I say, you know what? Go talk to your county. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Let me know how that goes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's. I think that's a pretty good breakdown of all the fees that are involved with that. And, you know, people don't realize, they ask me and they say, well, why is it so much? Or why is it this? And, you know, what percent of my purchase price or, you know, of the loan amount is the closing costs? And unfortunately, there's just not a sliding scale out there that I can say, hey, okay, with a $200,000 loan with this and this, here's what it is. I mean, I give people ballparks, but you know, I really have to have the facts that come into play right there on every single loan. They're all different. Wow. So. It is. It's yeah. It's overwhelming. That's a lot. Like that makes my brain kind of hurt just a little bit, Jason. You've you've bought a number of houses in your life. Yes, I have. And refinance. So I think then this you're... like went in and then just went out. Yeah. And then I just left yeah. it. Yeah. It, oh. it is amazing about how much information goes into it. But, you know, once you look at it and I tell people that, look, I don't have a calculator on my website that says, here's how much your closing costs are going to be if you take out a 200000 or a $400,000 loan. Um, you know, you got to call me because I can whip it up in, in no time. It probably takes me about seven minutes on my computer, but I just got to be at my computer to do that and makes each customer feel better. Well, and just so you're giving accurate numbers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the, I always say that people, you know, you don't want any surprises in this business. You don't want surprises from Beth. You don't want surprises on the loan, you know, and let's know these things up front mm-hmm. so you get to see them. And you are protected by the government because the two fee breakdown documents that come across when you're taking out a mortgage is initially it's going to be the loan estimate. And then prior to closing, you're going to see a closing disclosure. So it's more or less the same document and you just, you know, all the fees up front. So you don't have any surprises. Okay. So I have a question for you. What do you think surprises buyers the most like during the loan process? I would probably say number one is how quickly I can get a loan done sometimes. That kind of surprises people, especially if they've had experiences before where they're like, oh my gosh, it was just terrible. And I couldn't get in touch with this person and couldn't, you know, it took us, you know, a month to get this or the pre-approval even. I can do a pre-approval in an hour. Typically, if you're not self-employed, but I don't have to analyze and break down, you know, 
um, the last two years worth of taxes, I can knock it out in you know an hour. I say 45 minutes for the application on the phone, 15 minutes to pull the credit and analyze your credit report, and I should have you pretty much pretty qualified in roughly about an hour. So that's kind of a surprise on a, on a good note. Mm-hmm. That's, that's um, a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think the biggest surprise that people hear are all the associated costs with buying a home. Mm-hmm. You know, from again, all the closing costs, the different variables there. And then also the money that, you know, you have to put into, uh, you know, escrow or prepaid items um, like that. You know, granted, you don't have to escrow. You don't have to have an escrow account. Years ago, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had pricing adjusters. If you didn't take out an escrow account, a lot of them have done away with that now. They're just kind of leveling the playing field. Um, Really, the benefit is going to be of having an escrow account is that you don't have to go to the county twice a year and pay for your property taxes. And then you don't have to pay for your homeowner's insurance in one lump sum when it becomes due, you know, once a year. It it's just so makes it easier. easier to swallow when you're just paying it as part of your payment every month. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. I would say like 98% of my clients. Yeah. 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 The majority of people do it. I even just say recommend it. So just do it. Take out an escrow account. So yeah. it's, it's the costs associated with taking the loan as what the shocker is, you know? Okay. So... How much do buyers actually need to bring to the closing table? I would break that down into, you know, like I mentioned, you're going to have to have a down payment. So it's going to be more or less like down payment, plus you got the closing costs, plus you got the escrow startup, and then minus out however how much you gave the sellers for your earnest money. That's kind of the formula of how I would say, you know, what people have to bring for the down payment and everything to, to the closing table. That's okay. pretty straightforward. Yeah, so it totally makes sense. That's but like the easiest part. Basically, all the other stuff is like done. Yeah. And so this three things, like that's it. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Well, and because the all of the lending rules changed in 07 and 08, the lender, you're going to have a, you're, there isn't going to be surprises because you're going to get a disclosure, like when, like Jason said, when you start the loan process and then within like three days before closing, right? Or more. Yeah, you will have those final numbers. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get to the closing table and be like, oh my God, this $10,000, where did this magically come from? But back in the day, that used to be the case where there's there would just be undisclosed stuff that would show up on the closing statement and buyers are like, well, oh my God, what do I do? I'm not prepared to pay this. Oh. Like I thought it was going to be X and now you're telling me it's Y. So now like the everything is so much more regulated mm-hmm. in a good way. Right, right. To protect the consumer. It is. There's actually certain buckets of fees where when I disclose a loan estimate or specifically my lenders uh, disclose that loan estimate to the clients, they email it out to one or both of the clients that are on the loan. Um, There are certain fees that cannot change throughout the whole loan process. If they do, Jason has to pay for it. There's certain fees that are in a 10% tolerance bucket. So I've got a 10% tolerance. They can go up or they can go down, but they can't go up more than 10%. Otherwise, I get to pay for them again. And so that's another way that the government has kind of stepped up to protect the consumers in there. So when I give out the the fees, I put the fees into the computer for the lender to generate the loan estimate. They're good. They're really good. So you you don't mess around with that. No. If you tell me you want to use ABC title in Bloomington, guess what? I'm going on their website. I'm going to um, figure out what their uh, costs are going to be based off, again, your purchase price and your loan amount. I'm going to save that document in your digital file. And those are, I'm going to put that in there as your title fees. So there's nothing that's going to come back and say, oh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, you know, only put $150 for the closing fee when it was actually $300. And then I have to end up coughing up that money. I got to pay for it as a broker credit. Oh, wow. At closing. No, thank okay. you. No, I'm not in the business of losing money today. <laughs> no, no way. way, Jose. Um, okay, let's talk about something funny. Like, what is the craziest thing you've ever had happen during the loan process? Might might not be funny. Might be terrifying. Yeah. Anything you can think of? I got two of them. Two quick okay. ones here. Okay. First one that comes to mind is I once went to a closing. I won't even mention where it was or who the title company was. And the seller, I couldn't figure out if she was a ex-teacher or if she was an attorney. Because she brought one of those 12-inch wooden rulers with a little metal edge on it if you guys yeah. remember those to yeah. the closing and i thought either she's going to hit somebody or she's <laughs> oh going to cut God. somebody <laughs> and what she was doing is she was looking over the loan documents as a seller before she would sign them um, with this wooden ruler and going line by line as she scrolled down oh, the uh, like holding God. it and holding just like it and sliding wow. it down Yes. Oh my God. Were you yeah. like, we're going to be here for six hours? Yeah. I thought, you know, she was. So must you have were gone. representing the buyer. So she was the seller. Yeah. Holy she was crap. so detailed that she did that and tried to take up so much of our time, which is fine. Everybody has the right to do that. Yeah. But she actually brought the old school antique, I call it, you know, wooden ruler. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know if you can buy those anymore. No, because they were like a weapon with that metal edge on yes. it. You literally put somebody's eye out with that thing. Right. That would be that'd be one of the quirkier ones that stand out in my head. Oh my God, that's funny. Yes. The other one is, um, I know Beth, you and I can relate to this, is that um, we... At one time, you know, when the uh, before the mortgage meltdown was happening, you know, people were buying houses with just if they could fog a mirror or they had a heartbeat, you could state yes. an income on there. And so many people were buying houses with no money down, with no verified income, no verified assets. So everybody and their brother was buying these houses and stuff. And then the, uh, you know, everything imploded. And mm-hmm. the mortgage meltdown happened and there are so many foreclosures out there and people were trying to buy foreclosures just because they seem like such a great deal. And I mean, obviously there was, there was wonderful, amazing deals out there for houses. But I once had a guy up in, I think it was Fridley, Minnesota going to buy a foreclosure. Um, he was, he was self-employed. He owned a siding business. And uh, the craziest thing was, is that uh, when the appraiser went out there to the house, they appraised the house, they determined the value of it, but they called that appraisal as subject to completion. And uh, it was reason it was subject to completion is that the siding was missing on the four season porch. And I went back and I told the consumer, I was like, this is what's going on. This is what has to happen. He's like, well, I know that's why I'm buying the house. I own a siding business. I'll just side it myself. And I said, well, it doesn't work that way. You know, this this is subject to completion. It has to be completed. The appraiser has to come back out to the house and uh, this has to happen all before you can close in this loan. Now he got all upset about this. His realtor, you know, still is, you know, fighting in his corner. But I said, if you want to uh, buy this house, let's side the house. So he and I on a Saturday, (laughs) he and I on a Saturday went out there and we sided this house in January of Minnesota. Oh my God. It was probably about five degrees and him and I spent all Saturday morning and eventually I just had to go because it was so cold. And I and he's like, I'll finish it. You know, because he was quick and I was just helping him and I had yeah. never sided a house before. I thought, okay, I'll learn out here as my teeth were chattering. And uh, so yeah, no that's, that's the craziest one. It's just to get the job done, just to help him, to help me. We sided that house in January. I painted oh. a garage in a house in Robbinsdale in December mm-hmm. years ago. 
Yeah. And so we were doing research on paint. Like we found one oil-based paint that would dry down to 40 degrees. And we had like a couple of warm days. But you know, like they consider like the night temperatures. Yeah. So like, yeah, me and the, I was representing the buyer and the listing agent. We we're out scraping the trim. FHA, yeah. can't have any peeling paint. Still can't. And the buyer's like, I'll come help. I'm like, nope, we got it. I'm like, this is this is going to be your housewarming gift. Yes. I'm like, I can't guarantee what this paint's going to look like come spring and when it warms up, but we're out, <laughs> you're going to get out. your house. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you still get it. So, yeah, that was crazy. But siding a house, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. And what were the sellers doing on that deal? They're like, oh, sweet, the house gets sided. It was the bank. It was bank owned. Oh, it was bank owned. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the oh, foreclosure. Yeah, yeah. The yeah you said to... foreclosure. Yeah. So the bank already owned it and they're like. they're not. We're not doing anything. Oh, yeah, they don't you care. Know, we're not even tightening a light bulb in that house. You know? Right. No, you buy it as is. Yeah. And just to get it to get the deal done, we, we ended up siding it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's when you know you got those a good mortgage person or a good realtor when they'll do those kind of hoops to help you jump through. Remember yeah. when we were turning the water on at a house in Victoria? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. And the appraiser came in and the lender's technically not supposed to have any interaction with the appraiser. Right. And uh, I just kind of stayed in the basement. While and I'm he like, did his walk oh my God, my heart's racing. They're 20 minutes early. What are they doing here? Because <laughs> with you have to have water on, you have to have utilities on. And yep. so, yeah, that bank is like, we're not going to do any of this. We're not turning this on for you. So I'm like, you and I are like, we'll make this happen. Yeah. Our buyers are buying this house come hell or high water. Yeah. Again, another foreclosure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the ones that, you know, are get, get those kind of, you know, Quirky ones that happen, you know, those and things that just. Thankfully, we don't have the, too many of those right now. No, no, and well, but you and I both know what it takes to get these things done. And that's the beauty oh, of working yeah. with us is that you know, look, we'll go the extra mile and we'll say, hey, okay, here's what we need to do. Let's put our hats and helmets and grab our tools and uh, we'll get well, it you, done. You sheetrocked a bathroom ceiling in a house in Golden Valley for us. Yeah. Oh my God, I forgot about that. <laughs> and I go painted back. It. Oh yeah, you and I, we've done some doozies. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> Well, okay. Awesome. So if somebody is renting, mm-hmm. let's jump back into like our like our meat and but our meat and potato questions. So if somebody's renting and paying like two grand a month in rent, how do you guide this person into buying a home? Or like, and then you know the most of the reasons why people stay renters is they don't have the money for a down payment. Like, what are you gonna say to that buyer? Like when you're having a consultation with them. Yeah, I mean, every every buyer consultation is going to be different. Everybody, you know, has got their own scenario of where their down payment is going to be coming from or if they don't have the down payment, um, especially if they're renting. Let's focus in on that one right there. For If you're renting, paying $2,000 a month, we can get you into something, especially with these historically low interest rates where they're still at right now. I mean, you got to take advantage of that. I mean, on the minimum, if you qualify for a conventional loan, we're talking 3% down or FHA is 3.5% down. I know people say that, you know, I don't have that money. Um, I, I don't know where I'm going to come up with that money. You got to look around. You got to talk to people in your uh, circle, you know, especially if it's like a husband and wife. It's a great opportunity for them to talk to their family members and say, hey, can you gift me the money for this? Um, because pay, paying $2,000 a month is more or less just throwing that money away. You're paying down your landlord's mortgage is what you're doing. Exactly. You're making yeah. them rich. Yeah. You're doing that for them and it's putting nothing in your pocket. No, you're putting yourself in a negative equity position. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the amount of money that you're losing each month compared to your uh, rent credit write-off at the mm-hmm. end of the year is so minuscule that it doesn't even matter. 
It's you got to stop renting. You got to. Well, with the numbers right now, with everything appreciating double digits, houses are going up approximately 1% in value every single month. Yeah. And that's that's amazing. It's 1% yeah. times the value. Right. So in, yeah, in a year, you think about how much that actually is. A lot. And, yeah. you know, if you're renting, you're not paying, you're not gaining any equity and you're not reducing your principal balance on your loan. So you got to stop renting like ASAP because rents are only going to probably keep going up. Mm-hmm. So pretty They're soon. They're skyrocketing. Yeah. But basically houses are going to go up, rent's going to go up, and you're going to be in a place where you can't save potentially unless yes. your income goes up right. with it. And nobody's income is matching how quickly house values are going up and how quickly rents are going up. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely yeah. not. Yeah. You know, I mean, people ask me all the time here, um, they say the question, you know, where do I come up with the money to buy? And I give people this. I say, number one, again, like I mentioned, there's not any zero, you know, zero down loans anymore. So you got to save people. I don't care if it's $100 a month, $200 a month, save there. Save as much as you can of your own money. You got to mm-hmm. put some of your skin in, in the game and be an adult. Adult, mm-hmm. like we all should be doing, you know, can't be standing there with your hand held out looking for, you know, handouts left and right every time. Save your own money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, start saving. Number two, look to a family member who is related to you by blood or marriage and get a gift. You know, I don't care if you repay that gift or not. That's not my, you know, it doesn't fall on me. Yeah. It's one of those ones. And I get a lot of buyers that are getting some type of a gift from a family member. Whether it's you know money towards down payment, money towards closing costs. I even have people, I had a closing two weeks ago where the son, the buyer, he got an $80,000 gift for the entire down payment for his house. Wow. $80,000. Nice parents. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's a great Well, and you know, situation. if he's got a repayment plan with his parents, like that's on him after the closing. That doesn't have anything to do with the lender at that point. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of gifts out there. If people don't have the down payment, look to family members. You have a lot of people who love you and will hopefully help you out with a uh, gift. The third thing is going to be a lot of people don't think about like a 401k. A lot of us have 401ks. We started many years ago at different jobs. Maybe we have transferred jobs, but you've got that money that is sitting there, whether you're you know contributing to it right now from an old 401k or if you've got a new one that you're attributing to right there every month is look into that touch, touch base with the company that goes find out how much you know you've got in there how much it is from the last monthly statement or the quarterly statement and then i want you to look into the terms and, and conditions of a withdrawal a lot of times you can borrow up to 50 percent of your vested balance okay um or up to a max typically of about fifty thousand dollars to go towards down payment and people never even think about oh i could borrow money from myself well, why wouldn't you do that? That's- and so then do you have a repayment plan on that or what does that look like? Yep. Yeah. Typically, like it might be like a five-year repayment. You know, if you borrow, say, $25,000 to go towards your down payment, um, you'll have an interest rate of 4 to 5% that you're paying back to yourself, more or less. And then, uh, yeah, you have a monthly payment that comes out of your check um, and just something you don't have to write separately. So they make it so convenient. Cool. How many people that you work with, like, what's a, do you have a percentage of people that opt for that? I think I think a lot of people don't even know that that's an option. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I would probably say about 25% of the people, you know, we talk about it because I always try to give people options. Yeah. And to say, hey, you could do it, you know, this way or you could, you know, get the gift. Um, yeah, but a lot of people actually do. Uh, have those opportunities out there and it's either they've already taken advantage of it they know what i'm talking about or they're like hey that's a great idea i'll look into that 
Well, especially to get into your first house, because I feel like after you have your first house, then getting into your second and third homes, like you're you're leveraging the equity that you got out of your first property. So most people don't need that kind of help when they're moving up or moving, you know, upsizing or downsizing. So it's usually just like, how can I make this work for my first house? Right. And yeah, if you're only going to be in your first house for a few years, then you could even pay back that home equity line with a bunch of the mega equity that you've got in your property. Right, right, exactly. And they make it so easy these days. Years ago, you had to supply the purchase agreement, a copy of the purchase agreement to your 401k holding company, whether it was like Vanguard or Fidelity or whoever was holding that. Yeah. You have to send that in as kind of like, hey, here's verification that I'm really doing this, you know, but now you don't. I haven't had anybody tell me that stuff. And so the one big thing about you got to remember is it's just the name of the game is paper trail. You know, everything's got to be paper trailed. So if you take out a 401k loan, I want to see, you know, that note of repayment, typically mm-hmm. one to five pages that say, here's, I took out 25,000 for five years at 4.75%. And here's what the monthly payments look back on there. And I don't have to include that in your debt to income ratio. Oh, really? Yeah. It used to, I have to keep that in there, but yeah. now I don't. Cause it's like you're borrowing money from yourself, not from another lending institution. That's really cool. Yeah. Yes. Huge. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question to kind of like tie in here. And I want Jason, you to answer it, but Bethany, I also want you to answer it because I think you might have like different perspectives on it or maybe it'll be the same. But so say I'm a buyer right now and I I have like 5%, 3 to 5% in my bank account saved, but I'm like freaking out about the market. And I think that I need to have like 10 to 20% down. I need all my debt paid off. Like I'm paying my car off. I'm renting like that scenario. Um, should I be thinking of buying a home and what are the long-term effects if I bought or versus if I continue to rent? Like, what does that scenario look like for me? Number one, I guess, is the answer of if you've been on the fence and you've got 5%, I would say yes, buy. Again, buy, 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 you know, um, it's the three key words that we need to talk about right now, again, versus renting. You got to stop renting, quit throwing that money away. So buy as quickly as you possibly can. Um, you know, you got to, you got to, you know, start gaining equity and, you know, building wealth. Cause like Beth is talking about is the, um, the, uh, the equity that you're building is just, you know, you're building long-term future for yourself, whether this is your first property or if you're a seasoned investor, you know, that's what you got to do. The name of the game is to actually continue to buy these properties. So get on that like right away. Um, the big thing also with, you know, if you've got say 5% down, right? The key is with every conventional loan, um, let me back up a second. If you have an FHA loan, you're going to have mortgage insurance. Every FHA loan has mortgage insurance. You're not going to get away from that. Okay. But a lot of the buyers that I see, the majority of them are conventional buyers. So they're getting a, taking out a conventional loan. Again, minimum 3% down. I encourage a little bit more down. If you could do 5%, find find that extra 2%, you know, whether it's a gift or whatever it is, as long as I can paper trail that money came from, you're going to get a better interest rate and you're going to pay lower mortgage insurance. So remember, any conventional loan that you don't have 20% down on is you're going to have to have mortgage insurance. And the key is that that's not there for the life of the loan. Okay. FHA loans, 30 year fixed, you know, with a, with putting the minimum down, you're going to have that mortgage insurance there for 30 years. It's crazy to imagine paying that. I mean, majority of people aren't going to have that house or that same loan for 30 years, but it could be, it could happen. So if you've got 5% down, you know, jump into it. You don't have to have 20% down to buy a house. The only downfall is going to be is that you're going to have to pay a mortgage insurance every month. Okay. 
Um, and really, if you've got decent credit, say you've got credit scores over a 700, ideally you're looking for a 760 middle credit score if you're gonna have to have mortgage insurance because that's where you're gonna get the best of the best lowest rates from what I remember. And mortgage insurance is not that expensive. Really, I mean, if you take out a, a loan, um, I'm trying to remember the last scenario I did for somebody. I think uh, I had somebody recently that was looking to buy a $400,000 house. They were going to put 5% down, which is going to be $20,000. And they would have a $380,000 loan. Their credit score was a 738. And the loan, uh, the loan monthly private mortgage insurance was about $110 a month. That's so cheap. Yeah, and that's what the 738. Versus renting. Right, yeah. Like what yeah. you're wasting renting every month? Yeah. yeah, so again, don't you don't have to save up for that 20% down. Because think 20% down at 400000 is 80K. I don't have 80K today to go and put down if I was yeah. going to buy a new house. I just don't have that money in my pocket. Yeah. So why not do 10% down, right. pay a little bit of mortgage insurance, and maybe you can get out of it in a couple of years. So um, my thoughts on it are rents are skyrocketing. But so are values. I mean, values are going up double digit. Um, historically, most millionaires in the United States do not make their millions from their companies. They made their money from real estate investing. And so like the sooner you get in the game, the better off you're gonna be down, to, down the long run. And you're gonna be able to continue to create, you'll be able to start creating generational wealth for your family. I would say that's one of the biggest things of like, Stop renting. And when you rent, your interest rate is 100%. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't think about that. They're like, you're, you're paying your lender's mortgage. You're building wealth for your, or I'm sorry, for your landlord. You're building wealth for your landlord. And you're literally doing nothing for yourself. So I say, like, get your, get your ass in gear and buy a house quickly. Um, okay, so Jason, clarify like what happened. So if you have a conventional loan, you put 5% down and you do some fix-ups on your house and values have skyrocketed the last couple of years. What's the steps to get your mortgage insurance off? Yeah, yeah, great question there. I had actually the scenario play out with me. So back in 2014, my wife and I bought a, uh, a brand new construction house and we put 10% down. So we were paying about $92 a month, if I remember, uh, in mortgage insurance. Now, I hated paying mortgage insurance, especially as even a mortgage advisor like myself, yeah. but I knew that wasn't forever. So what we ended up doing was we you know, were making our monthly payments, and a big chunk of that you know, principal and interest was going towards the principal. So every month, you're gaining equity doing the principal. And then also, you know, you're putting some money into the house. You're doing little fix-ups, little add-ons on it. That's going to increase the value of your house. And then with the uh, you know the market gains right now, you can turn around and you can um, you can actually refinance out of there. That's one option. The other option would be is that you can uh, contact your loan servicer and you can say, hey, I've been in this house a couple of years. I've made all my payments on time. I feel like I meet the criteria to try to drop this mortgage insurance. You reach out to their loan servicing department and uh, they'll send you a little checklist. You pay for the appraisal that uh, you have to have the house reappraised and you uh, end up dropping the mortgage insurance if the new appraised value puts you at a 20% equity position based off your current balance. Okay. So it's really pretty, it sounds like it's pretty easy to do. Yes, it is. It, you know, like right now, I need to go be back looking at my clients that I helped buy houses, say two years ago, three years ago, four years mm -hmm. ago. Anybody that I can see that had mortgage insurance then, 
I'm going to be contacting There's a them. good chance they could be dumping it now. Yeah, they could get out of it in a heartbeat. Yeah. We got out of ours relatively quickly. Yeah. When we purchased. And it wasn't this couple market. A couple years, right? Yeah, it was within two years, I think. Yeah. And it wasn't this market. It was a few years ago. Right. And so then, really, it didn't take. No, it doesn't take a that huge long. amount of time. Right. The other thing is, is, remember, you could keep that money in your hand. Even if you had 20% down, maybe you only want to put 10% down, pay the mortgage insurance, hopefully for just a short amount of time, and then invest your money somewhere else. That was going to be my next question for you. Oh, really? is like, does it actually make m- more sense right now with interest rates to put that money elsewhere than just put it all into your home, like putting down 20%, you know, right into your home versus like, do I invest maybe a chunk of that somewhere else? Yeah. Potentially. Well, it can go well, either I mean, the, way. The stock market right now is a hot mess, as we all know. Right. Um, But I think that if you buy a house that actually needs some work and say, you know, if you update some kitchens and baths and do some like little mini facelift on it. Put less money down so you're more liquid, so you have money to do mm-hmm. projects, you're gonna get to that equity position way faster. Yeah. Than if you put the twenty per than if you put less money down and you're just like not doing anything with that money. Yeah. Like putting the money to work for you so your property is Got it. Instead of like taking out another loan to do right. to do those additional fixes. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Cause people gotta remember that there's only two ways to get money out of a house. One is you sell the house and then you get your money out of the house. Or two is refinance, you know, to do that and stuff. So yeah, maybe you, you know, take control. You're at the at the steering wheel, I say, of, you know, driving the loan. It's your loan. And then you can say, well, I want to put 10% down or 5% down. Or maybe you don't put all that 20% down. Because as the more expensive the house, that's more money that you invest into the house. And there's only two ways to get that money back out. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And if you refinance, remember, you've got closing costs again involved with getting your money back out. Okay, so can you explain the difference between like working with a big bank versus credit union versus online lender or a broker like you? Yeah. Like as a buyer, like what does that look like? Yeah, um, I get that question a lot and I even try to clarify that for people because I feel like I'm actually competing with the big banks still on a small level. Which is sad because there's no competition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thank you, Beth. Um, I feel like really, okay, the, the differences between like the big banks and the credit unions is there's not really a ton. Of, uh, you know, of differences between them because typically they are lending their money and their money only. They don't have the availability like a broker like myself to lend other banks money. Because you got to remember if you're, if I'm giving you a loan, it's not my money. You know, it's, I'm like the middleman between the consumer and the big banks out there. So the big banks are saying, Hey, um, you know, we've got interest rates of X amount today and here's what it is. There's no other shopping around within them. They tell you what their interest rate is, and that's typically the best that they can offer that day or whatever rate sheet they're looking at. Um, where you, if you look at it like an online um, online lender or like a broker like myself, um, there's a good chance that those, those online lender or brokers are going to have a variety of lenders that are, uh, you know, have different rates out there. So like, for example, for me, I've got about five lenders that I'm signed up with. I know who are my top three on a daily basis. I know who my top two are if I you know, have the perfect scenario of excellent credit, 10, 20% down on a purchase. I know who I'm looking at. I know who it's going to be. You know, it's going to be that they're super competitive out there and they're going to have, um, you know, similar rates. But, you know, one of the things is also is the mortgage insurance might be slightly different because different companies have different mortgage insurance out there. Okay. So the big, big biggest benefit of working with somebody like me as a broker is I've got the ability to shop the rates for you online. 
Okay. Okay. Online lenders specifically, I hear this from people, you know, I won't mention any names, but you're just (laughs) not going to get the personal experience from them. They're located in Georgia. They're located in California. You're never going to see them face to face. You're never going to, you know, get that customer service level that like somebody like me that can provide to that person seven days a week. You know, more than likely, you're not going to be able to contact that online lender on a Saturday afternoon at six o'clock at night when Beth calls and says, hey, I need a pre-approval letter for this house, like stat. In We're putting in an offer. All offers <laughs> are in. True story. You know, by Sunday at 12. Or and if, we like, need it. something random comes up during the loan process, right? Right. That needs to be addressed immediately. Right, right, okay. exactly. And the other thing is, is with the big banks and with, uh, I can't speak for all online lenders, but specifically with the big banks, is their mortgage originators, they fall under the regulations of the big banks. I fall under the regulations of the feds and the state and all the additional compliance and education that I had to do to get to where I'm at right now. Okay. I always forget about that, but like what I joke about, and this actually was a real life scenario, is that I had a deal completely fall apart and the loan officer called and it was someone that my clients were like, we really want to work with this loan officer. I'm like, okay, I think you should get a second opinion, but okay. And the whole thing fell apart and come to find out the loan officer had just gotten a promotion um, from a teller from a bank teller to the loan officer <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like a month earlier. And so she didn't know how to troubleshoot. She didn't know how to be proactive. She didn't know how to save the deal. And, you know, from my years in the mortgage business, I was trying to like help help her just kind of even save face because like how embarrassing for her. But the whole entire deal fell apart. So like that's one of my concerns with when clients go to big banks, you're like, is the loan officer someone that actually has been doing loans for a long time mm-hmm. or were they a bank teller last week Yeah, and they just got a promotion? Yeah, you never know. Yeah. And the online lender, some of my nightmare experiences with them is like they come out, they come out of the gate really strong, like they're going to be really great and, you know, they might have some nice cost savings with fees and rates. But then you when you need to get a hold of somebody, you're, you'll never get a hold of someone when you need one. Yeah. So... Yeah, buy local. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't stress it enough. Right. Okay. Awesome. So another question for you, Jason. This one's a little bit like a little different because it's about appraisals. But with many buyers having to pay over asking price right now, what are you seeing with appraisals? And like, what happens if the appraisals come in too high or too low? Okay. Yeah, I think uh, you know, for me, and uh, I don't really worry about that too much because again, it's you know, you can't try to get the cart too far in front of the horse. When it comes to appraisals, I get buyers that say, oh my gosh, what happens if this, or what if the, what if it comes in $10,000 low, or what if it comes in $50,000 lower than what I agreed to buy it on? Let's cross that bridge when we come to it, people. You know, let's not lose any sleep over that. I try to, you know, just hold people's hands and say, hey, if that happens, which I don't think it typically does, I can think of about two purchase transactions in the last year that that has uh, happened to. And one was within the last month. And so I'm very familiar with what ends up, uh, you know, happening after that. So not to worry that it's typically not happening, especially with the amount of uh, equity and with the bright, rising price of houses right now. It doesn't seem to be an issue for me. Um, what ends up happening, um, and I know, Beth, you can attest to this also, is that typically if an appraisal comes in low, depending on whether it's $50,000 or $5,000 or whatever it is, um, 
The it's buyers... usually not fifty grand, though. No, no, it's no. usually a small amount. That's where I think the misconception with the buyers are is I think they think that if it's going to come in low, it's going to be like a hundred grand low. Yeah, no, and I... that's not the case. Right, I had one come in fifty grand low. But you know what the problem was? Is probably that house was overpriced to start with. Yeah, it was the it was the listing agent who did not do anyone some due diligence. Right, and she put it out there, put the hail mary out there, and these buyers were so desperate that they ended up, you know, writing it, it, it appraised for five thousand dollars less than the original listing price when the buyers went fifty over. Okay. Yeah, and so immediately they go back to you know the drawing board because when that happens, the appraisal comes in low. I notify the buyer's agent. I notify the selling agent on the listing agent. Um, and I say, hey, here's what's happened. Let me know what you guys want to do. And more or less, you're back to ground zero. You're starting over with negotiating the purchase price right there. So a lot of times what I see is that the uh, the buyers may come up. The sellers may come down. And usually the deal works out, I would okay. say. Yeah. It's usually like some sort of compromise of the, Yeah. Do you, do you think it's something that is is feared more than necessary? Yes. Okay. You agree, yeah. Beth? Yeah. 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 But the awesome thing is, if the house appraises for more, you we you know you obviously don't share that with anyone other than the buyer's agent and the buyer. Mm-hmm. But then, like the buyer is getting in and they have instant equity. So, right. like, yay! That's like time to throw a party. Right. Right. Yeah. You get that warm and fuzzy feeling that hey, maybe I got a little bit of a deal in this house. Yeah. You know that doesn't okay. happen every day, but when it does, I mean, it's amazing. I don't care if it's three thousand dollars, five or ten thousand dollars. You're like, oh, sweet. Yeah, that's really awesome. Right. Okay. Yeah. One thing that I don't even think I I just popped in my head right now. What about appraisal waivers? I don't even. Christy, do you even know what those are? I have no idea. <laughs> so tell, like, Jason, talk about those because you and I see those pretty regularly. Yeah, appraisal waivers. Um, I would say I probably see them more often on refinance loans. Okay. Um, because you know it's it, as long as we're not trying to push the value of the house, you know, excessively over what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac think that it actually is worth, I might get an appraisal waiver on that. But I have also seen uh, appraisal waivers on purchases, and again, that you know that happens when uh, people are trying to buy a house. And I run the uh, online findings through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's website, and it comes back and it looks the full picture of the buyer. It says, here's you know the purchase price of the house. So Fannie and Freddie are comparing that to the other sale comparables they have in their database. Um, and then also it comes down to credit, it comes down to assets for the buyer, and it comes down to the, they feel comfortable enough that they say, yep, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac says, I think that you're buying this house for an acceptable value from the statistics we have, and we will give you an appraisal waiver. So you end up not having to have an appraisal on the purchase of a home. So two huge things there is. It like literally throw a party every time Jason reaches out and says, we got one of those. I'm like, yes. yes. And the buyers are always thrilled about it too. Because it's just one one less part of the deal that could go sideways. Right. Yeah, saves them six to nine hundred dollars on yeah, appraisal. Yeah, um, And then, and then takes all the worry out of the uh, the fact that you know the uh, the house could come in low or whatever else it is. Yeah. I have honestly, hand over my heart, is that uh, I have honestly have not had anybody who got an appraisal waiver on a purchase not take that. Yeah, it's why such would a beautiful you not? thing. It's that's like you've been handed a gift. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you not take the gift? Yeah. Don't look the gift horse in the mouth, as my yeah. dad would say. <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> so, yeah, we love appraisal waivers. 
Okay, so something that came up and like I, this made me nervous too, was like, so what What would you say to that buyer who's like worried about, like I, I think that someone should get pre-qualified before they're even out looking at houses. It doesn't always work that way, but I really think that that should be how it's done so you don't fall in love with a house that maybe you can't afford. Mm-hmm. Um, or you get your credit kinks worked out before you write an offer. So, but like, what do you say to that buyer that's maybe like, they're worried about talk, calling you and talking to you and they, they're worried that you might be like judge judgy at them or maybe they've had some credit issues in the past. I know that the last time when Mark and I refinanced, I was a little bit nervous. You know, I'm like, you had never looked at my financial picture mm-hmm. before. And I'm like, oh, God, hopefully Jason isn't going to be like, man, and she's, she could manage your money a little bit better. It's a bit scary because you're just like everything. It's just yeah. right there. Yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. airing your dirty laundry. Exactly. And especially when it's someone that you may or may not know. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've had that with uh, friends in the recent refinance boom that we're kind of coming out of right now that are like, well, I, we talked to him, we, the husband wanted to use you, but the wife didn't or vice versa, you know, but at the end of the day is you got to be able to trust that person, Yeah, you know, and that's what it came down to. And I got the refinance loan done for some friends of mine. But when I, I get buyers specifically that say they've been on the fence or they've been really hesitant to talk to a mortgage person, whether they know me or they don't know me and they're concerned about their credit or being judged or, you know, they have no idea what they're talking about. I say, let's have that conversation. Let's start over the phone. Let's just, you know, talk openly and confidentially here. Because I always tell buyers that Beth may have referred you to me, but I'm not working for Beth. I'm working for you and mm-hmm. you only. So they have my confidence and confidentiality there that I'm not going to tell Beth how much money they make, how much debt they have. No, you never tell me any of that info. No, nope. I don't care who it is. I don't even tell my and wife I don't any need of that to know stuff. that info. As long as you go buy a house and you give me a pre-approval letter, yeah. I could care less. Yeah, I do so much due diligence, like you know, work ahead of time, so we don't have things blow up in the you know underwrite during the underwriting process once your file is submitted. So the key is that those people who may have bruised, damaged credit again is I just try to hold their hands and say, look. You guys can trust me. I'm not going to judge you. I've been in your scenario. I've pulled thousands of credit reports in my 19 years of doing mortgages. I've seen pretty much all of it. Everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. If you have $30,000 worth of credit card debt and you've got a 699 credit score, there's a good chance you can still buy a house. You don't have to be ashamed about having that much credit card debt. Because I don't qualify people off of the debt. I qualify people off of the actual monthly payment. So that's the key right there. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't realize that. Should I pay this down? Should I pay off this student loan? Should I pay off this car? Most times the answer is going to be, don't do anything. Let me look at your credit. Again, I'm going to go over with a fine-tooth comb and I like to scrub the report is what I tell everybody. Um, and we look it over and decide, hey, Here's what you should do. Here's what you should not do. And again, I just make suggestions. I don't tell people what to do. So I just make the suggestions to say, especially if you've got debt, is like start low. And, you know, let's start this process as soon as possible because, you know, if you want to buy a house, a lot of times, Beth, you know, I get people pre-qualified six, nine months early. Mm-hmm. We do and, that all the time. And we need that. We need that time, especially if you got bruised or, you know, damaged credit, I want that time to give you, you know, the tools to help improve your credit scores. So I don't care if you've got a 580 credit score, you're not going to buy a house today, but you know what? Let's not give up. Let's work on this together. Let's, you know, knock this out and start with the smaller, you know, things that you need to clean up on your credit report and get it done with. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. 
So, you know, you may need that six months, may need the nine months, may need a year to clean up your credit. But I don't ever give up on people and say, hey, I'm sorry, can't help you today. I think that really ties back into that question I asked before, like hypothetical, like buyer, do I need to, you know, that's working on paying off my car, paying off all my student loans, paying off every piece of credit before I even go try to get the house when the reality is I'm just dumping tons of money into rent every month. So there's like that happy medium that you can find. So like figuring that out that you don't have to be at zero to get started. Right, right, right. Number one, just pay your bills on time. I don't care whether it's credit card, whether it's judgments, whether it's, you know, installment fixed loans, just pay them on time. That's going to be the best thing to help, you know, your credit stay higher. So I think that we could, uh, you know, work together on that to help assist people to, you know, get them into houses, whether they have good, better, good, bad or ugly credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, like you and I have worked with a couple of people over the years that it's taken like a year for them to get. And all of a sudden they circle back and they're like, yep, I did everything that Jason told me to do. And you're like, holy crap, they improved their credit score like 100 points. And now they can get an awesome loan. Yeah. And it's incredible. Like the power of like what educating and helping people can do. Yes. Yeah. It's cool. Okay. So I'm going to have you look into your crystal ball here. Like how do you forecast the next one to three years in this market? Great question, Christy. <laughs> Great question. No pressure here. No pressure. No pressure at all. I Unfortunately, I, that is going to be the toughest question of the day. Especially, um, I may have had a little bit more of an insight pre-COVID, um, but I've told a lot of different clients and, you know, like I've told Beth, is it's like you can't predict what's going to happen anymore. This, uh, everything with the world, you know, with COVID still uh, running rampant and you have... Um, like wars with uh, U- Ukraine and Russia starting. I mean, who knows how long these kind of things are going to last mm-hmm. and uh, what kind of an impact COVID is going to have long-term. In the next one to three years, I don't even know really. To, I can't an- answer your question and say, I think rates are going to go down. Rates are going to go up. I mean, I think we could say rates are probably going to continue to go up, hopefully at a slow pace. And we don't see these giant jumps. But I mean, there's still, you know, record lows right now. Uh, But I can say that I feel like the real estate market is going to continue to be extremely busy. I got that feeling. Yeah. Like this year is still supposed to be double digit appreciation, according to a lot of the big power players Mm -hmm. across the country and economists are saying we're still going to see double digit appreciation, but they're saying, you know, expect rates to be close to 4% by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, who knows with wars happening we haven't had any like wars affecting our economics in quite a while right so it's interesting to see how that will affect things like i don't know russia and ukraine i don't think we're talking about war when the fed was talking about raising all the rates no so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out right but rates were supposed to go up like three years ago and they never did they even went lower right right yeah the government has definitely been keeping these interest rates down yeah. To again spur the economy and everything yeah. else, and they've been doing a really good job of that. But I mean, wars going into effect here within the last couple of days—that'll change rates, or that'll yeah. stop any rate increases right there. Yeah, you know, for how long or whatever, you know, it's yeah, it's it's not going to be you know an easy you know guess at how long things are going to you know stay where the way that they are, or how are they going to change in the next couple of years? Well, they the one thing that's nice though they say the best way to hedge. Um, hedge off inflation is to buy real estate because even during big appreciation even during big inflation periods 
real estate is typically always appreciating. Mm -hmm. And then you actually have a constant that you can, that's predictable in your life, even if other things are, you know, hard to, hard to predict financially. Um, Having your house be like that steady, that steady financial piece in your life um, gives a lot of people peace of mind. Yeah. 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 Well, Jason, where can people find you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I'm still old school. I like people, number you one. You are old school, and to, that's what we to, love about you. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone, people. It's in your pocket. It's in your purse. It's in your hand. <laughs> I, li- I like the personal touch of calling. I like educating people. I love working with first-time home buyers. So I, I encourage people to reach out to me um, initially on a phone call. Um, I get a lot of texts. I get emails from people. Um so yeah, I think the really the uh, the best ways are going to be even my website right now. I know I'm in the process of just you know redoing the entire website. It's coming along great here. I should be live. Can't within, wait to see. Yes, it'll be live in the next couple of weeks and stuff. Cool. And that website uh, by the time the podcast actually airs, your website live. will probably be live. Yeah. Right. So what is your website? It is www.jmtmortgage.net. Dot net. Okay. Yep. And if you want to reach me via email, it is jason at jmtmortgage.net. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Thank you so much. This was great. I mean, honestly, already purchasing a you home and working stuff, with didn't you. you. I mean, I knew some of it, but diving in, like totally clueless on other things. So I hope this helps, like, especially like first time home buyers navigate this, or if you're going to refi or yeah. just have you a better understanding of the market and the financials. So thank right. you so much, Jason, for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. One thing I would say is that, you know, as, as we all continue to age a little bit more, I am amazed at the year that people were born that they're contacting me saying, I want to buy a house. The people <laughs> born in the late nineties. You know, pushing oh. the year of they're born in 2000 who are like, yeah, I want to buy my first house. I just can't believe it, like how that how the times have passed and they're continuing to. But I mean, I'm sure Beth and I, you and I both see a lot of first time home buyers. I and, do. And a lot of a lot of real estate agents don't work with first time home buyers. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've always said is, you know, and I'll be honest, I make considerably less money off a first time home buyer, but I usually get a greater reward working mm-hmm. with that client. And a first-time home buyer is only a first-time home buyer once. That's right. So, like, if, and we are always trying to build clients for life. So, like, I want to be with you, like, for every sale and purchase you have going forward. Right. Yeah. So, and you and I, you know, we have so many clients that we've worked with again and again and again. And we love that piece of the business. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's I awesome. appreciate you guys letting me uh, come on today. Yeah. Oh, it's been you. awesome. It's been really, really insightful. It has been. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right, Bus Bench Babes, we hope we bombarded you with a ton of awesome, awesome mortgage information. Um, you know how to reach out to Jason or reach out to us and we will connect you with him. He is really one of the most incredible mortgage professionals um, here in the Twin Cities area. So until next time, keep your face off a of bus bench and keep being a badass boss babe that you are. We did it! Yay. Sorry, that was so much information. Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.